Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, on the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was an hungred, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee an hungred, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in? or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was an hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in, naked, and ye clothed me not, sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee an hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he say unto them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. You may be seated. Good morning. Greetings in Christ's name. As many of you know, I have been preaching on end-time events. There was a young pastor who was preaching about the return of Christ. The pastor believed that he should not preach without the pastor believed that he should preach without any, any notes. As he was preaching his sermon, his mind became blank, and he was stuck on one phrase, and that phrase was, "Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly, behold, I come quickly." He repeated this phrase a couple of times, hoping that that would help to clear up his memory, but it wasn't working. Finally, he stood back from the pulpit and thought that if he would rush in at the pulpit, that that might help him. But as he was doing that, he knocked over the pulpit and landed in the lap of a lady in the front row. As he was getting up, he apologized to the lady. She answered saying, why are you apologizing? You warned me eight times that you were coming. I trust that that's not how we are thinking um, when I'm preaching these series, but that we are preparing ourselves for the time of Jesus Christ. As we think about Jesus' second coming, let's take heed to the warnings that are given to us in Scripture and not ignore them. My prayer 
with these sermons that I've been sharing is that we could be ready for his return. Life is too short and eternity is too long that we neglect the seriousness of being prepared. I believe that it could happen soon with what is happening in our world today. There are many signs that are given to us in Scripture that show us that the time is near. Not that we should know the day or the hour, but the general time that He is coming. And I believe it is right around the corner. In previous sermons, we learn about how Jesus comes to this earth and how the Jews will come to repentance. In the Bible, there are different numbers that are given of the length of days that the tribulation lasts until Jesus sets up his earthly kingdom. There seems to be a gap of time. It's kind of like in the United States from the time that the president is elected to the time of his inauguration. There's a period of time for the president to appoint um, office or different people to different ta- tasks in his um, office. This morning, I want to preach, speak about the preparation of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Daniel 12. I want to read some verses from Daniel 12. As I'm reading through this portion, I'm going to read from verses 7 to 13. There's three different numbers, time periods, that the tribulation is referring to the tribulation last. Take notice of the three different numbers. And it appears like that there are two angels that are asking, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And then the man answers. Daniel 12, 7 to 13. And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth for ever that it should be for a time, times, and a half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the times of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand Two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. But go thou thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. Did you see the three different times that's spoken up spoken of here in Daniel? The first one we see is time times and a half. This is three and a half years. Time, one year, times two years, two plus one is three and a half. 
three and a half years, when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people. So who is the holy people? And what does it mean that he accomplished to scatter their power? Well, who is he talking about? He's talking about the Jews, the Jewish people. The holy people is talking about is the Jews. When he scatters their power, when God draws them to repentance. How many months is three and a half years? How many, year, how many months are in one year? There's 12 months. 12 plus 12 plus 12, 36 plus another 6 is 42 months. And in the Jewish calendar, there are 30 days in a month. So 30 days times 42 months equals 1,260 days to a third of the Jews come to repentance and when Jesus comes back to the earth. So where do we get three and a half years out of time, times, and a half? In Revelation 13, 5, and this chapter is talking about the Antichrist, it says, And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and powers was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And in Matthew 24, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, Jewish men, and I believe in Matthew 24, um, is specifically talking to the Jews about the end time events. He says how they will be under great tribulations such like the world has ever seen. This is done by the Antichrist. So the second number that we see is 1,290 days. And we see that in verse 11. And if you do the math, 1260 minus 1290 is 30 days. This is 30 days later from the first number. And what happens at this time? What does it say? The abomination of desolation is taken away. And I had said before that the abomination of desolation is when the Antichrist will set up his image in the most holy of holies in the temple. That will be taken away after um, 30 days later. The next number we see is 13... 35, 1,335 days. And if you do the math on that, it's 45 days later. This is 45 days after the abomination of desolation is taken away. So what happens after 1,335 days? It says, Blessed is he that waiteth. What are they waiting for? What do you think the Jews are thinking about? They are waiting for when Jesus comes and makes all things right in his millennial kingdom. I believe after that is the start of the kingdom. When Jesus will reign on the earth and take control of the earth. When Satan no longer has dominion on the earth. I believe this is what mankind throughout all the ages have been looking and longing for. Even unbelievers as well. They long for a time of great peace and 
on prosperity. Even in biblical times, the Jews, they have been longing for, the, for this day. But the unbelievers, they do it on their own terms. They try to do it their own way, except for Jesus Christ. The prophets have prophesied about the millennium kingdom. So many times in the Old Testament, like I said, the Jews were longing for this. When Jesus fed the 5,000, it says in John 6, the people understood that Jesus was the prophet that should come, that he was the Messiah, that Jesus is a king that would reign on the earth. They wanted to take him and make him as king. Even the disciples in different times asked Jesus about his kingdom here on the earth. In the great Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, they asked Jesus about his coming to set up his kingdom. At the time of Jesus' ascension, they asked him about when, he set up, when he's going to set up his kingdom. They even had an argument about who should sit on the right hand and on the left in, the king, in his kingdom. They wanted a seat of preeminence. preeminence. So we can see that there is a period of 75 days from the end of the tribulation when the time that Jesus comes down to the earth to the, to the time that the kingdom, his kingdom is set up. So what will happen in those days? Will people be able to repent during those days? What are the, some of the things that will happen during the 75 days? There is a list of things that, um, that I have here that very likely will happen during this time. Number one, the burial, the burial of the dead from, begins from the battle of Armageddon. In Ezekiel 39, it says that the house of Israel will be burying the dead from, for seven months the Battle of Armageddon, there will be a lot of lives lost. Um, it will be a devastating battle. A lot of people will be killed. But the house of Israel will be burying the dead for seven months during this time. Also, it says that the weapons that they use in the battle, they will be burning them for seven years. Another thing that will happen during this time is casting the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire. Revelation 19.20, it says, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that, re that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worship his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. These both were cast into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. These two are the first to be thrown in, and they are thrown in alive. Another thing that happened during these 75 days is the gathering the elect. Matthew 24, 31, it says, And he shall send his angels with a great trumpet, with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the one from one end of heaven to the other. This elect that it's talking about is the Jewish people because of the context of the chapter. They are gathered 
from the four corners of the earth. Another thing that happens is the cleansing Jerusalem and beginning its rebuilding for the eternal kingdom. And we see that in Ezekiel 48. Jerusalem, during the kingdom, will be the capital of the eternal kingdom. After the tribulation, Jerusalem will be nearly destroyed and will need to be rebuilt for the 1,000-year reign of Christ. The King Jesus will reign from Jerusalem. Another thing that will happen in the 75 days is building of the millennial king of the millennial temple. If you go to Ezekiel 40 to 46, we get a complete picture of how the temple will be built and how it will be um, yeah, how it will be built and what it will look like. The sacrifices and the offerings will continue like it did in the Old Testament, and I believe this will be done to express worship to our king. Another thing that will be done is establishing government in every part of the earth and publishing the new laws of the kingdom of heaven on earth. In Isaiah 2, 2-4, it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted upon the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. In his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. People will want to go to Jerusalem where Jesus is on his throne so that they can learn of his ways and his laws in his kingdom. We will be kings and priests and reign with Christ. We are given authority to act as judges. And we see that in Revelation 24. 20 verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and they saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon his, their forehead or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Another thing that we see happening during the 75 days is the gathering of nations to be judged. And that's what Dave um, read about. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. And I will be talking about that in, later in a little bit more detail. Another thing that we see happening in the 75 days is the divisions of the promised land in 12 strips for the 12 tribes of Israel. And we see that in Ezekiel 48. Way back in Genesis, God promised to Abraham, he made a covenant. It was a strong promise. A promise that couldn't be broken. That his seed will be given a land from the river of Egypt to the river of Euphrates. They only have part of this land, but they will have it all in the millennium. And I want you to look at this map. That is the nation of Israel there, the tan. 
Look at the next picture. God said, from the river of Euphrates to the Egypt River, the blue line and the other blue line. That's lots bigger than what it is today. God said that the Jews will have that. Let's go now to Matthew 25, where Dave read. The background of this passage, this is the great Olivet prophecy that Jesus spent two chapters speaking to only his disciples about his return. The discussion starts out with Jesus showing them the buildings of the temple and telling the disciples how it will be, how it will be destroyed. The disciples responded with a question, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Jesus spent the next two chapters answering their question on end-time events. He tells them in detail what to expect before he comes. Matthew does not record Jesus' answer about the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD, like he does in some of the other Gospels. So what exactly were the disciples thinking when they asked this question? And I kind of referred to this a little bit already. But the disciples knew how this world would become after this age because of the many prophecies in the Old Testament. They were looking forward to when Christ would set up his kingdom here on the earth, the earthly physical reign of Christ here on this earth, when all kings and presidents would give over their rule to Jesus. That, that it would be a time where he would make all things right, when the world would be the way that God wanted it to be, where there would be peace among everyone, where there will be no war, no war. While this judgment happens during the 75 days till Jesus sets up his kingdom, I'd ask the question, will people be able to repent? No, I don't think people will have a chance to repent. When Jesus comes back, their decision is already made. It is the final time it is too late. So let's look at the timing of this judgment. In verse 31, it tells us the timing of this judgment. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him. When does the Son of Man come in his glory? And especially with all the angels with him. It's not at his first coming, because at his first coming, he came in humility. He was a servant. It is not at the rapture, because he doesn't come down to the earth to judge, but meets the church in the air. This judgment is also not at the same time as the great white throne judgment, because at the great white throne judgment, only the unbelievers are present. In this judgment, we see believers and unbelievers are there. Also, the great white throne judgment happens 1,000 years later after the kingdom. This, ju this judgment also happens at the time when Jesus comes down to the earth 
with his angels, when he brings his angels. And we see that in different places um, that when Jesus comes, he'll bring his angels and also the saints, the raptured church. Matthew 24, 30 to 31, it says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So who are the ones being judged? I believe it is not the church. The church is already raptured and most likely have been judged already where Jesus gives them their reward. They are, have already experienced their eternal destiny while the tribulation was going on on the earth. So it's not the church. Who's being judged? It is those that are, those that are being judged are those who survive the seven-year tribulation. It is those left on the earth after the tribulation is complete. They survived everything that was going on in the tribulation, both believers and unbelievers. This judgment, like I said, is only for those left on the earth. So what is the purpose of this judgment? The purpose of this judgment is to see who that is left here on the earth will be allowed to enter into the kingdom that Christ set up here on this earth, who is worthy to become the subjects, subjects of his kingdom. At the beginning stages of Jesus' kingdom, there will be only, the only people that will be present will be believers on the earth at the beginning stages of his kingdom. We get another picture of this in Matthew 24, 40-41. And I want to read that real quick. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. This, These verses here is not referring to the rapture. We get confused with that. And I think the reason why it's not referring to the rapture because of the questions that the disciples asked in the beginning of chapter 24. That's what the purpose of this judgment is. Some will be left here on the earth to experience the 1,000-year reign of Christ, and some will be taken. In this chapter here, verse, or chapter 25, we also see that Jesus um, announces that he is the king. He is the one that will be the king. Before, he announced that he was the son of man. The son of man is, um, stresses his manhood and it just displayed his absolute obedience and submission to the Father. But here we see, for the first time, I believe, in this chapter, we see that he is, refers to himself as king. Let's look at the judgment a little bit. So 6,000 years ago, sin entered into the world. And because of sin, there needs to be judgment on all people. We will all be judged. 
Hebrews 9:27 it says, "And as it is pointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. No one can escape it. We are all to be judged. Even the believer's sin is judged. But is judged in Jesus when he died on the cross. Hebrews 9:28 it says, "So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation." God has given authority to the Son to execute all judgment. Jesus will come and judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth and equity. We see that Jesus is the judge in Matthew 25. He brings before him all the nations and separates them like a shepherd does with his sheep and goats. The shepherds at that time separated the sheep and goats at night after they were feeding all day together. He puts the sheep on the right side and the goats on his left. And we know that the right hand often speaks a hand of blessing. And in Matthew 13, Jesus talks about the separating, the separating, and this dividing. I was going to read it, but I don't think I'll have time um, Take the time to read it later. But it talks about the wheat and the tares. They left the wheat and tares grow up together. But afterwards, Jesus sent his angels to separate them, to bind up the tares and to cast them into the fire. Also, the dragnet. There was um, different kinds of fish in it. um, And they needed to separate it. I forget exactly how it was. Yeah, they needed to, they they gathered different kinds of fish, all kinds of fish, and they, they were when they brought it to shore, they sat down and separated the bad fish from the good. I speak I think this these two examples, parables, speaks of this um, dividing, this judgment. So how are these people judged? In verses 35 to 36, we see what all they did. They did a bunch of, a lot of good things. A lot of good things. Is that what brought them into the kingdom? Because of all the good things that they did. I think we get confused with this a little bit. But I want to read verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them, on his right hand. Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The people on the right hand are blessed. They are blessed. They are made to prosper by God. They are made happy. God does this only with those who are born again, those who accepted Jesus as their Savior. Another thing that I see is they inherit the kingdom. Why do they inherit the kingdom? In Matthew 5, 5, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I think that's what Matthew 5, 5 is referring to, the kingdom. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. To be meek is to be gentle, being mild. And meek is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. 
Also, we see in verse 37 that they are called righteous. How are they made righteous? We had it in our Sunday school lesson a couple weeks ago. Romans 4. Um, about Abraham. For what say it's a scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. It is belief in God that made these people righteous. It was not by their works that saved them. It is through their faith of our Lord Jesus Christ that saved them. The works listed is a fruit of their salvation experience. Let's look at their works a little bit. These people gave food. They gave a drink. They took in a stranger. They gave clothes. They visited the sick. And they visited those in prison. Let me remind you where these people came from and how difficult life was. They came from the tribulation. They couldn't buy or sell unless they had the mark of the beast. Life would have been very difficult if they didn't have this mark. And if they were caught helping those who didn't have the mark of the beast, imagine what would happen to them. It could be the, they could be the ones suffering, suffering persecution or death. It was death, pretty much, if they help people. One thing that I see here is true love. These people didn't care about the laws of the land, what the Antichrist was doing. They loved. They had a copy love. They had a love that cares for others, not for themselves. They had a sacrificial love in spite of the dangers around them. Who exactly did they do these things to? It was to the least of these, to those that aren't important, to those who have the most needs, whether, whether physical, spiritual, or mental. And when they did it to these people, they also did it to Jesus. How did they respond when Jesus said these things? They didn't know when they did those things when they will do these things. It was something that flowed from their hearts to help others. It was a small, simple task, small, simple things that they did in everyday life that expressed love. Their actions were evidence of true faith, not of doing things to earn salvation. Let's look at the, those on the left side. How will they be judged? We see that they didn't give food or a drink. They didn't take a stranger in. They didn't give clothes. They didn't visit those in prison or those who were sick. So what did they do? And we see what they did in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, 
and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. These people will do great things for themselves, great marvelous things, to make them look good, not necessarily because they had love for others. It was not necessarily what they would do that would keep them out of the kingdom, but of what they didn't do. They didn't feed the hunger. They didn't give drink to those in need. They didn't give clothes. They didn't get, visit those in prison or those who were sick. It is not necessarily that they were evil that kept them out, that they were wicked or sinful people, but it's because of the lack of love for another person when there was a need. Let's look at their destiny. Those on the left will go away to everlasting punishment. It will be forever in punishment because of what they did not do. Those on the right will, will remain on the earth and be a part of the 1,000-year reign of Christ. And it will be a forever with Christ throughout all eternity. So as we look at this chapter, while I believe the church will not be a part of it, there is lessons that we can learn from this. What is our response to this judgment? Do we have love for others? Do we love sacrificially? Do we give to those in need, even to the very least, the very, to the people that are, aren't important? Or are we doing some great thing that those around us can notice us so that we can re receive the praise of man instead of receiving praise from the judge? In closing, I want to read from John 15, 12 to 13. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love have no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Let's kneel to pray.